Do you struggle with a lack of focus or energy? The team at Physician Designed knows the feeling and they can help. Brain Support Micro PQQ and Microactive CoQ10. Both use a proprietary blend of PQQ and CoQ10 to maximize the boost you need without any negative side effects. Studies show that Brain Support Micro PQQ and Microactive CoQ10 lower fatigue, anxiety, and depression while increasing mental acuity and awareness. Feel the difference for yourself today. You can save 30% on your next order at physiciandesigned.com. Just use the code GENIUS during checkout. Again, that's GENIUS to get 30% off at physiciandesigned.com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Ardovan Asli. Uh, he's a board-certified spine surgeon, and we're going to talk about uh, the dark side of spinal surgery. So, Ardovan, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me here. Well, if you would, tell me a bit about your career, and you know, did you always feel this way about spinal surgery, or did things change, and why? Well, okay, let's uh, start with introducing myself. I'm a board-certified orthopedically trained spine surgeon, so normally uh, you have two ways of becoming a spine surgeon. One is you become neurosurgeon. And then you practice in spine surgery or you do, you go through orthopedic surgery, become an orthopedic surgeon first. Then you do a fellowship, which is only one year in spine surgery. And then you become a spine surgeon, but orthopedically trained. So there are two ways of becoming a spine surgeon. I uh, finished my training in 2002. I've been in private practice since then, uh, board certified, went to undergrad in Berkeley, double majored. Then uh, went to New York Medical College for medical school. After medical school, I did my residency at St. Vincent's Hospital, which is a hospital in New York City, and did my fellowship in Boston in Brigham Women's and Beth Israel, part of Harvard University. And I finished everything in 2002, and I've been in private practice since then. So that's a little brief introduction in terms of my background. Now, Back to the original question that you asked me, what my feelings are about spine surgery, correct? Yeah. uh, How long have you been a spine surgeon? And when you started, do you feel the same way as you did when you started? Or if not, what changed and when? Yes. So let's start from the beginning then. When I I started my practice in 2002, so I've been in practice for 20 years now. I've been in practice in the same area, which is Northern California, Sacramento area. Initially, I started in a suburb of Sacramento and called Yuba City for about a few years, and then I moved my office into Sacramento itself. Now, when I first started my practice, I had become an orthopedic surgeon first and then spine surgery. So I was orthopedically trained. The first 10 years, I would say up to even 13 years, I mean, 2013. So that's about the first 11 years of my practice. I was very happy with spine surgery. I had a very busy practice at that time. I was doing, you know, surgeries three and a half to four days a week. I mean, that's just busy, busy 
spine surgery schedule. And I was doing all these surgeries, complex surgeries, multi-level fusions, deformities, you, you name it. And I was going along, you know, basically practicing what I was taught in my training. Then it came around 2013. Why? Because the second half of my practice, so the, in the 20 years of practice, the first 10 years, I basically practiced what I was taught and what I was trained. Starting the second half of my practice, I started asking tough questions like, what are we doing here? What is happening? And I knew that aging population had a very significant problem, facing a significant problem in spine surgery, because as we age, our bones get weaker. And most of the instruments that we use, not most of the instruments, the instruments that we use as a bone anchor to anchor the vertebrae, the, the backbone, is a big screw that we call it a pedicle screw. So that screw gets inserted from the back, uh, from the back of the patient toward the front of the patient through a bone column we call them pedicle into the body of the backbone. And the problem is that the vertebrae has two types of bone. It's almost like a shoebox. So the outside bone is very cortical, solid bone, but the inside bone is a spongy bone. We call it cancellous bone. So when we put the screw into the bone, into the vertebral backbone, actually the purchase, the grip comes from the spongy bone and not the cortical solid bone. So we knew that very well, that aging population, this bone gets really weak. So when it gets weak, these screws basically pull out and become ineffective. So by 2013, so starting the second part of my practice, I told myself, I got to have to, we got to work on this. We got to, we got to come up with a solution. So I started looking for a solution, even though I was in private practice by myself, even though I wasn't part of a university, you know, research kind of a team, I always had the feeling that I wanted to contribute to my field. So that didn't stop me from entering what we call research and development phase of my practice. So I remember when I was working in Yuba City, I had to go back and, you know, go back. I lived in Sacramento, but I practiced in Yuba City. So sometimes when I was on call covering the emergency room in Yuba City, I had to go back and forth between Sacramento and Yuba City like three times a day. And when I was traveling in these highways, I would see big rigs strapping down their load with Kevlar straps not chains or cables, metal cables. So I always thought to myself, man, this, this strap is, must be the answer because, because the, the bone is so weak and, and metal just eats right into it. So we got to come up with something that, that is much a, a device that is not metal, but at the same time, it can hold on to metal in a, in a, in a very good way. So I started my well, research what, what, what are you adhering? So what, what is that? When a screw when a screw goes into a bone, what is what is the other side of the contact going to? Okay, like what you this know, you attach the bone to bone, or, or what? That, that's the whole thing. To fuse the two vertebrae, we had learned from orthopedic surgery that we have to hold them together. So what happens is that a screw goes into one bone above, and it's on both sides. So it's not just one side; it's on both sides. So so one on each side goes into the bone, and these screws have a tulip that accepts a rod. So imagine. One screw on the right side, the other screw on the right side in the vertebrae below, and then another screw on the left side on top and the bottom, two screws on the left side. And these screws on each side, they connect to each other with a rod, basically. And, you know, as I said, it's the tool that accepts the rod. Do you struggle with a lack of focus or energy? 
The team at Physician Designed knows the feeling, and they can help. Brain Support Micro PQQ and Microactive CoQ10. Both use a proprietary blend of PQQ and CoQ10 to maximize the boost you need without any negative side effects. Studies show that Brain Support Micro PQQ and Microactive CoQ10 lower fatigue, anxiety, and depression, while increasing mental acuity and awareness. Feel the difference for yourself today. You can save 30% on your next order at physiciandesigned.com. Just use the code GENIUS during checkout. Again, that's GENIUS to get 30% off at physiciandesigned.com. They'll tend to tension themselves apart, is what you're saying. Right? It, exactly. So, so what happens is that that's the way that you immobilize these two vertebrae together so they can become one, they heal together and they basically become few. That's the whole concept, basically. Because we had learned from orthopedic surgery that to heal the two bones together, like in fractures, you have to hold them together first. You got to stabilize them first. So when we started doing these surgery, fusion surgeries in 1990s or early 2000s or 80s and 90s, we had a high, what we call non-union rate. So they would not heal together. So that's when somebody came up with the, uh, with the idea that, hey, we can put this screw in and connect them with a the rod and that can hold it together. And that way we can increase the fusion rate, basically. So we can get more people to heal their bone as opposed to not healing and requiring a second surgery. So that was the whole concept of using screws came about, which was in 80s, basically. So that's how we practiced all the way till about that's what I practiced till 2013. 2013, I said, you know, there got to be something better for older populations. So when I started my research and development, the only thing that I was looking for was a device for elderly. That's the only thing that I was basically planning on doing. Except the problem is that, which I will explain, is that the problem got bigger, 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 and became a huge, I almost like stepped on this thing that I was like, oh my God what have we done so far? So it got so big that I actually kind of derailed all my research and development that I was doing. And this is what happened. So I invented a device and this device is a flat plate that sits against the lamina. So lamina is a cortical bone in the back of the backbone that covers the canal and it's a cortical bone. So my device was a, was a flat plate that sits against the lamina and uses composite straps to wrap around the lamina and it gets tensioned like a zip tie. So basically, and accepts a tulip so the tulip can accept the rod. So instead of a device that actually penetrates the bone, actually stays outside the bone and uses cortical bone as opposed to cancellous bone for its grip. Do you follow me now? Oh, so the, all right. So... The rod is the same, but the attachment to either vertebrae that it'd be fused is now like a strapping mechanism. So you're using it the whole like circumferential area of the bone Correct. to keep the strap and the plate in place. Exactly. Exactly. I'm glad I'm glad you you I would tell, you know, without showing you something. It's kind of difficult to go over things without showing it actually so people can understand, but you understood it exactly what we were doing. So when I invented this device, actually, it, this device got presented in Congress of Neurological Surgeons in 2015. So I won the innovation showcase. They had an innovation showcase. And I won that innovation showcase in 2015. 
So my device was accepted by neurosurgical community as a device that needs to be presented to the rest of the community. So what I'm saying is that it's not like, oh, I just invented a device and who cares about this? It actually was well accepted in the neurosurgical community. So so that that so I was developing that. Once I did that, I had to I came to a problem that I can't disclose. I, it was a problem with the with the device that that somehow it wasn't sitting very well. It wasn't aligning very well. So I said, wait a minute. So let me look at the screws to see how that, you know, circumvents this problem. And I found that, oh, my God, screws have the same problem, but nobody talks about it. So what happens that I started doing more and more research, I started reading published literature about these screws. And what I found out was frightening. I mean, it was just absolutely embarrassing to my field. And that happened somewhere between 2016, 2017, 2018, right around that time that I was discovering this thing. And this knowledge didn't come to me by just at one moment. It came to me over two to three years. So when I looked at the literature, found that, oh my God, all the literature that's been published about these screws that do they work or not, they all show that these screws don't work. By not working, meaning that addition of these screws does not translate into increased infusion rate and absolutely does not translate into improving outcome. So what that means is that in six research papers, they had patients that they put them in two groups. One group, they did the fusion, but they did not use any screws. In the other group, they used these screws and they compared them after like a year or two. And they found that that the fusion rate, meaning the bones healing together, and outcome of the surgery, meaning that the patients were happy with their surgery or not, did not change. So Actually, the screw, the, these studies said that the screws don't work. So I told myself, what is going on? This is not good. Let me, let me see what is going on. I mean, what, what, so I started going to conferences. Now I started actually finding, talking, and confronting what we call leaders of the field. These leaders of the field, if I have to say, I'm not talking about one or two or hundred people. I'm talking about, you know, a group of let's say 150 professors that every time I go to conferences, I see them giving lectures over and over and over. And they are everywhere. They're in uh, Rothman Institute, they're in Harvard, Johns Hopkins, UCLA, UCSF, you know, all these professors from all these universities. So I actually confront not that I say confronted them, but I actually started talking to them. And this is what I found out. There was, when these screws became available in 1985, the way it happened is this. Two surgeons in France, they figured out a way to put a screw into the backbone without damaging anything. So they found a way, anatomical, safe passage for these screws to be in, inserted into the backbone. So they came in and showed their concept in the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons right around 1987. Once they did this, all the surgeons in the United States, they saw this concept and they liked it. And they picked it up and they just ran with it. By 19, by early 1990s, 
when they started using the screws, the results were very bad. As a matter of fact, there were many lawsuits about the use of these screws. At some point, there were 7,000 lawsuits for the use of these screws. There were about 500 lawsuits. The lawyers not only sued the manufacturing companies, which were two companies at that time, but they actually sued the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and North American Spine Society. So they what actually was, sued. What's wrong with the screws? I don't understand. Bad outcome. Ex, you know, continued pain. Bad outcome, basically. So, so mechanically, like, what did you observe? Why this happened? I am like, go- mechanically, what was going on? I am going to go there. That's exactly what I'm going. But you have to bear with me so you understand the, the, the history of it, so you can understand what's going on. So that's exactly what this book is all about. So the book that I wrote. So once that happened in early 1990s, there was very big discussion was going on in the spine surgery community in terms of use of these screws. So actually, the whole world of spine surgery was divided. You got the orthopedic surgeons saying that these screws are it, we love it, and this is how it's going to get done. And on the other hand, you had neurosurgeons saying that, we're not so sure, this is not working very well, what are you guys doing? When this was, and then of course, the lawsuits was going on. When all this thing was going on, one guy, his name is Dr. Thomas Zdeblik, one professor from University of Wisconsin published a paper. This paper was published in Spine Journal in 1993. And this is what it said. It had two groups, actually three groups, but let's talk about. So you had groups of patients that they did receive the screws and had groups of patients that did not receive the screws. According to his paper, he showed that addition of the screws improved the outcome beautifully, increased the fusion rate beautifully. I mean, this was such a paper that said that the screws are golden. They work very well. And patients, all the patients that received screws, they did absolutely awesome. So once this paper got published in 1993, gave the green light for the whole community of spine surgery, neurosurgery, or orthopedic surgery to start using these screws. By late 1990s or early 2000s, when I was finishing, when I was doing my fellowship and all that stuff, the use of screws became routine in the world of spine surgery. Every time that we were doing fusion, we would use these screws. But here comes the problem. Right around late 1990s, like 1998, 1999, and 2001 and two, six papers, multinational, multi-center papers came out and said, these screws don't work. They put these screws in two groups. One group received screws. One group did not, and the outcome in terms of the fusion rate and outcome of the surgery were completely the same, meaning that the addition of the screws did not do anything. So when I found that out, now this is like 2016, 17, I'm looking at back and I'm looking at back with the research and stuff. I'm trying to figure out what is going on. 
So I said, let's dig a little bit deeper on this paper in 1993. See, that's the only paper said that it works and it was done by one guy only. Let me see, let me look into it, see what's going on here, what's, what, what I can find out about this paper. Well, the first thing that I found out was shocking by itself. This paper was published in 1993 by Dr. Zdeblik in the form of preliminary report. I spent about a year and a half in literature to figure out, to find out where the final report is. I eventually, at one conference, I was talking to one of the professors from Midwestern, I won't name names, but a Midwestern university. And he said, that preliminary report is the only thing that we have. That study was abandoned in the middle and it was never finished. When he told me that, my jaw dropped. I was like, wait a minute. It was never finished and nobody ever questions what happened to the study. If you, right now, if you Google Zedeblik spine fusion, just these three words, Zedeblik spine fusion, that article comes out. And if you look at it in Google, you will see that's been referenced by 1,098 articles. It's the most referenced article in the entire world of spine surgery. Actually, if you open right now, North American Spine Society, the recommendations section, you will see this paper as a reference. So I'm here standing saying that, what is going on? None of these guys ever asked, raised this question, where's the final report? I mean, nobody even said like, hey, what's going on with this guy? It gets better. It gets much better. Then, so this guy, Dr. Zedevlik, publishes his paper in 1993. Then by 1997, he starts getting paid by the company that was manufacturing the screws named Medtronic. So from 1997 till 2005, he got paid $34 million dollars. And this is in Google. This is a known fact. This is not something that I'm, you know, everything that I'm saying is in Google. It's a known fact. And I will tell you, there, there's been two so far investigations by United States Senate. Senate has looked into this topic multiple times, but they have never figured out what's, what is going on. And I'm the first person that has figured what's going on, basically. And I have come up with the explanation. So this guy, just when you think things cannot get worse, it gets far worse. So this guy, Dr. Zedeblik, he starts getting paid in 1997 all the way till 2005, $34 million, allegedly for something that he's invented. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say, you know, what it was, what it wasn't. But something worse even happens. In 2005, the same company, Medtronic, put him in charge of another super important study of a product called BMP. It's a bone morphogenic protein. It's a bone graft substitute. I don't want to get into the detail of it, but it was a very important study. This time, Dr. Zedeblik got caught falsifying his results. When I saw all this thing, I was like, my God, I feel like I'm living in a movie. There's a all these papers say that this stuff doesn't work. What we're doing to our patients doesn't work. There's one paper says that it works, but then that guy started getting paid from that company and then he got caught falsifying his results. What is going on? Is there a conspiracy? That's when I started actually digging deeper into the literature. And what I found out was 
absolutely, absolutely scary. And this is what has happened. We became orthopedic surgeons first. So the training of us is to become an orthopedic surgeon first. We study five years to become orthopedic surgery. In that training, we emphasize day in and day out fracture fixation. Everything that we do, I mean, it's great majority. I mean, we talk about joint replacements and sports and all that stuff, fine. But the great majority of what we learn in orthopedic surgery training is fracture fixation. Well, in fracture fixation, we have learned this technique called AO technique, Angrostero Osteosynthetica. It's a team, a German team that came up with this concept of rigid fixation in 1960s. Before 1960s, we used to put the patient in the cast or traction. In 1960s, a German group came up with this concept that they can open the bone, put screws and plates to hold the two bones together so they can heal together. That eliminated cast and traction and all that stuff. We call it AO principles. So here comes around 85 or so, and we're trying to heal the spine together. And there comes the screws. All of a sudden, screws are in line what we learned in orthopedic surgery. You put the screws and you basically hold the bones together in a rigid fashion to heal. And actually, there's a very strong statement. Everything that I say, there's a evidence to it. There's nothing that I say. I'm just saying, out of, you know, I didn't make this up. I didn't say, I believe this is what's happening. No, everything that I say has a strong evidence. One of the biggest society in the world of spine surgery, what we call AO spine. So you have an AO for orthopedics, and then we have AO spine. So once we start implementing that fracture fixation concept into spine, and then this guy in Zedeblik came out and said that, oh my God, this works great. And then it became ingrained in our soul as spine surgeons that yes, the Rigid fixation, the concept of rigid fixation with screws is the way to go. But then here I come, I did my research and development, and this is what I found out. Now, here we go back to the question that you asked me. How did these screws work? I had to sit down for three years, try to figure out what is going on. Are we crooks? Are we spine surgeons? Are we just ignoring this mountain of evidence that these screws don't work? And are we just going with this one guy, one paper that's been proven to be unreliable, an instrument guy or, or, or like the, the company man? And what are we going with that? Are we all tainted? So I had to figure that out. So I sat down and this is what I came down to. When we put those screws in inside the patient, the screws goes from back to front. So let's say if the patient is standing up, the screws are almost parallel to the ground, let's say. But guess what? So in the body, those vertebrae, their motion is a rotational motion. They don't slide back and forth. They don't slide up and down. They rotate through an axis into the from the middle of the disc space. So this is what's happening. The surgeon is putting these screws to hold them together, but actually what's happening inside the patient, those screws have to stop a rotational motion, not a translational motion. That's what they're made for. Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I, I guess. But then, so they, I mean, the bones so, move in 3D. So right, are you right. saying so there's like I'm, shearing forces, torsional forces? This, this, this know, is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Pushing. Screw is a one-dimensional device. It's made for, for basically pull-up, basically. But inside the human body, they have to stop a rotational motion. If around the threads, if you have two different materials, bone and screw, they have different hardnesses and everything. So over time, the abrasion from whatever motion, I think would abrade the, the uh, you know, the channels and the screw would become loose in the channels and knock back and forth. And then eventually it would probably tear free, you know? That's true. That would be my guess. That, like that's, that's exactly. But what I'm saying is that what I found out is that, wait a minute, these screws fail in the body in the plane that's 90 degree to what is actually made for. So the plane of the motion that's made for, which is a translation of vertebrae going back, but actually in the body, they have to stop a rotation. Well, screw is not made. So basically what I'm saying is that the, the screw, there are two ways that the screw can fail pull out or toggle well inside the body it fails in toggle not pull out when the screws are not made to stop toggle so what i found out was that you put a device into the spine and you tell them do something that they're not made for and then you give them nothing but can sell a spongy bone and when the paper comes back and say it doesn't work you don't want to believe it so what was my what was my um final uh saying is that we made a huge mistake from the beginning spine surgery was never meant to be a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery we learned our knowledge we gained knowledge in fracture fixation orthopedic surgery we applied that knowledge to spinal fusions and we should have never done that because the mechanics the anatomy in the spine is completely different. So do you understand the gravity of what I'm saying? It is huge. I'll give you an example. For example, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's tons of corruption in the medical world. Unfortunately, it's not surprising. This is just this, yet another, another area that's, uh, that's been completely corrupted. I'm surprised that you haven't been attacked like crazy too for proposing anything different. Well, you know, I am just started. My book just came out. And it says that, you know, and it's very simple. You know, it's very simple. Screw is not made for toggle. And in, in, in a human body, it has to stop toggle. Simple as that. And it's not made for that. I'll give you an example. I'll give you, I'll give you something else. The concept of rigid fixation orthopedic surgery works for one reason. Because in the extremity, if you have, let's say, a, con let's say a construct that's not solid, let's say it's weak. Let's say you're like, man, I'm not so sure it wasn't that, you know, let me, let me protect this. You can protect your construct. How can you protect your construct? You can eliminate gravity. In the arm, of course, you can put the patient in a sling. In the leg, you can put them in crutches and, and you know, do non-weight there. So you can eliminate gravity. In spine, you can't eliminate gravity. The second the guy gets up, that instrument gets loaded. And the way I explain it is this, is no different than building a high rise in an earthquake zone. In an earthquake zone, you don't make that building solid. You make it flexible. You put them on rollers. Same concept 
should apply to spine. You don't make it rigid because it's going to tear up all the bone and get loose. You got to have a concept right. that actually can give. That's all I'm saying. And, and yeah, because I was thinking that, if you had multiple anchor points, it, it would help. But then again, it wouldn't help because each anchor point would tend to get toggled and strained even more because of the other constraints of the other anchor points. So like I'm envisioning, all. I guess, kind of like the way, uh, you know, a bone goes into the hip socket. You know, it can move around as like a round kind of, you know, half ball bearing type uh, arrangement that may work better. But even against bones, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to draw it out when I'm thinking, but uh, I'm right. sure there's a different way. Like you're describing. Right. But that's, but this is all I'm saying. And when I explain these to a 14 year old, they understand. But when I say to the leaders of the field, they don't want to believe it because why? Because I'm telling them that all those contracts that you have with those instrument companies, they have to end. <laughs> you know? oh, with this because much money at stake, I, I highly doubt that they're going to be are, wanting to listen to you. We are talking about a huge problem. I mean, the whole entire concept of spine surgery. I am basically saying that they got to go back to training. They have to... Spine surgery was never meant to be a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery or neurosurgery. In neurosurgery, you don't really learn biomechanics. In orthopedic surgery, you learn the wrong biomechanics. And, and, and it's very easy to see. Spine is a mechanical device, after all. It's a mechanical device. I have much easier time explaining the surgery through a carpenter or a mechanic than another doctor. You don't have to be a PhD in physiology to understand what's going on in spine. It's a, it's a Jenga, basically. It's a, my kids play that, Jenga. You know, that's, like, that's, that's basically how spine works. And we never sat down and said, okay, let's figure out how the spine works and what forces we have to neutralize and then make something specific to that spine. We never did that. I'm the first person ever that has done that. And I am saying that those screws are wrong they are absolutely worthless why let me let me give you one more time when you put that screw in as the screw sinks into the bone you call you, there's something called insertional torque basically as you as the more threads gets engaged in the bone that insertional torque basically the grip gets tighter and tighter so as the surgeon puts that screw in he feels that aha uh -huh, i'm getting a great cut you know uh, purchase. Wow, this is great. Wow, look at this. This is like really nice and tight. The problem is inside the patient, that screw has to stop a rotational motion. That means the force doesn't get distributed along the length of the screw in an even fashion. There are well, it's pressure also, it's It's also preloading the spine. It's turning the vertebrae. It's putting a, a permanent torsion on the vertebrae when it gets fixed to the two and then the body may want to correct that if that wasn't the original position. So you're going to get that as well. Yeah. That's, that's like in the deformity, you know, let's say, but patient doesn't have deformity, then, then, you know, then you don't have to move the vertebrae. All you're doing, you're just putting an anchor in there. So, but the problem is that that anchor has to stop rotation. You know, basically when, what, you know, it's kind of difficult. I wish I had the curves that I can show you, but an insertional torque goes up in a linear fashion. It's basically, it depends on, it's, it's, it's a direct relation between the bone engaged between the screw and the vertebrae. So you're but, saying that like, if you're, if a screw has, let's say like, I don't know, five threads 
the innermost thread will have higher torsional forces than the, the last thread to, to find purchase in the bite? No, 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 no. All I'm saying is that if, let's say, one centimeter of screw is inserted into the bone, then you have two centimeters of the screw that's gone to the bone, then the insertional torque has gone up by factor of two. But again, well, what about inter, inter-thread torque differences? No, that's like when these things fail, do they? Is there a certain thread along the length of the screw that tends to fail first? Has anyone looked at that's that? That's it. If you ask any spine surgeon right now, they would—they don't have an answer how these screws fail. And the first person that figure out how they fail, and they fail at the point of insertion, because this is the situation. Let's say you put a record player over the spine construct with a bone above, bone below, and screws in there. Because the motion of the vertebrae above is rotational, that means that you can put a record player over your construct. And if you go from center of rotation, which is the center of disc space, out, out toward away, that means that the further you go away from center of axis of rotation, the force decreases by the motion increases. It's just like a jammed door. If you want to open a jammed door, you don't push it close to the hinge. You push it furthest away from the hinge, right? So that's how it goes. It's a reverse thing for the spine. That means that the spot that's furthest away from the axis of rotation is the best place, is the, your best bet of holding the bone from movement. So if that spot fails, as you get closer to the axis of rotation, what's going to happen is the force is going to increase. So if that bone furthest away from the axis of rotation fails, the rest of the screw is going to fail like a zipper. So it's going to slip all along the the length of the threads all the way down. Correct. Correct. Because the screw is trying to stop a rotational motion. I see what you mean. What about uh, intervertebral uh, cushioning? You know, we have discs and we have fluid and all that. When a fusion is done, do they even bother with intervertebral no, cushioning or not? Right. When, 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 when the vertebrae is fused, it's done. You know, the, the, the cushion is gone and you put a spacer. Sometimes, if, you know, the, the different surgeons, they have different uh, preferences. But when you take that cushion out, when you put a block in there, then that two bones have turned into one bone and you know, that's the two bones have fused, you know, that's that, that motion segment has gone now. It's become solid, has become one bone now. Well, temporarily, but it doesn't stay that way. It sounds like. No, that's what we do that. That's the whole purpose of the surgery because, you know, we do that because the cushion between the two bones have worn out. So when they worn out, they're causing pain. So the whole idea is to decrease, stop the motion and eliminate the pain basically. Gotcha. Okay. Right. But that's like, but that's like when you do surgery for pain. So normally I divide my patients into two categories, simple and complex. Simple if they have one or two discs that are about complex if they have three or more. So if they have three, four discs that are about, you have to fuse a whole segment of the spine. And then that becomes a problem for the patient because they can't move anymore. Hmm. You know, but that's so, a whole I mean, different story your, by itself. Where, where is your design? Is it like what would be needed for it to replace the current uh, "Quote unquote technology, like well, I don't know, is there a huge road with a lot of obstacles, or what would be needed? No, actually, there's not a lot of obstacle. But this is what happened. I got to actually see when I'm saying all these stuff. I'm not just saying to you and not doing anything. I go to these conferences and I fight for patients. I fight for this stuff. You know, I get up in middle of 
Congress of Neurological Surgeons or American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, and I say all of this stuff. So one time I was at an American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons in front of like 900 spine surgeons, and I started saying that to this date. And if, by the way, if you ask any spine surgeon, they, if they are familiar with the, with the papers, they'll tell you that, yeah, so far we haven't been able to show with research that these screws work. So they're aware of this. This is not, I'm not saying something that they don't know. But this is their attitude. Their attitude is that, oh, in the future, we, we, we will show it. Not a big deal because we know it works. And I'm coming here saying that every time you fail to show that it works, you've actually shown that it didn't work. So, you know, it's not like you can't just sit back and say, oh, we'll just show it later on. It's not a big deal. No, you've just shown it that it didn't work. You can't just keep on like this. You know, so, so that's right. Anyway, so one time I was in the conference and I got up and I said this stuff. And he said, well, what do you think we should do? I said, well, I'm working on a device. And they, the, 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 the professor who was the presenter said, oh, you're, you're, you're just trying to promote your device. I'm like, no, it's not because, because I was developing my device, I found this out. It's not the other way around. So that's why I, I just said, look, this problem, when I first started my research and development, I wanted to monitor it. I wanted to get, you know, uh, do well financially. But as this problem got bigger and bigger and bigger, it's gotten so big that I don't care about money anymore. I want people, people get the right surgery. When the problem gets too big like this, you know, me as a person, I don't matter anymore. This is too big for somebody to just think about, you know, getting a nice car or a nice vacation home. So what happens is that just to make sure that I don't get what is that marked? I, I, I don't get accused of promoting my own thing. I stopped mm. developing my device. I said, you know what? I don't even care about the device. Let's fix this first. Because if you don't fix the, the, the basis of spine surgery, we can't go any further. Yeah, I understand. That's well, what's going on. Ardavan, um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about all this. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're close to being out of time. What, um, where can people follow you or get in contact to kind of, uh, you know, see your progress on this and well, I have provide a insight or help out. Yes. I have a book that just came out in corporate spine. You can get it in uh, Amazon. Actually, it's only $25. And I tell people it's your duty to read this. Not only that, it's your duty to make whoever you know to read this, because this is not something for just people with back pain. You know, your son can get affected. Your father can get get affected. Your your wife, your 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 husband can get be affected by this. This affects all of us. This is a specialty of medicine. This is not just something sitting there in the corner. Just you know, affects only like you know one percent of the population or even five percent of the population. It affects all of us. Everybody right. has somebody that suffers from a back pain. Get, end up getting surgery, and then they get the wrong surgery, and then. Uh, oh, it didn't work. You know, when the when the surgery comes in, that doesn't work. Then then you're like, sorry, go to the go to the you know pain management. Now I got to make one thing clear before we go. This is very important for for the audience to understand. The research doesn't say that our surgeries don't work. Our surgeries are working, but the research says that we don't have to make it so expensive, and that's when the instrument companies have just injected this concept through through their consultants who are leaders of the field that we have to use these screws. 
Well, I hope that uh, you're able to uh, make progress and overcome. You know, like I said, uh, yeah. corruption like this is is pretty well entrenched in a lot of areas. So this is know. beyond corruption. This is beyond you know entrenchment. This is we're talking about the entire specialty getting overhauled, basically. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. All right. All right, everyone. Um. So your book is out right now on Amazon and everywhere and people can purchase it. Any other ways they can to, uh, they can do to follow up with you? I think I know that just that's it. You know, I, I have some videos. I have made some videos about each chapter. So if they don't want to read the chapter, they can go to the website and the website is corporatespinebook.com. And I have videos for every chapter that I explain everything. So just in case they read the chapter, they don't understand something or, you know, they don't want to read the book or they're too busy or so, they can watch these videos. I mean, they can, they can watch on the way home or so. And uh, because this is not about me, you know, promoting myself. This is about people getting the right care. Yeah, no, I understand. I'm with you. I'm with you. Ardivan, thank you for this analysis and for what you do. And like I said, I wish you a lot of luck with it. And uh, I hope people will, you know, will pay attention. But thanks for coming thank on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Do you struggle with a lack of focus or energy? The team at Physician Designed knows the feeling and they can help. Brain Support Micro PQQ and Microactive CoQ10 both use a proprietary blend of PQQ and CoQ10 to maximize the boost you need without any negative side effects. Studies show that Brain Support Micro PQQ and Microactive CoQ10 lower fatigue, anxiety, and depression while increasing mental acuity and awareness. Feel the difference for yourself today. You can save 30% on your next order at physiciandesigned.com. Just use the code GENIUS during checkout. Again, that's GENIUS to get 30% off at physiciandesigned.com. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.